I think if we could, I would like to invite us all to turn to Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. That would be the book of Ephesians. And we're going to turn, if we can, to chapter 6. Chapter 6 of Ephesians. Let's begin, if we can, reading in verse 10, and we'll read down to uh, verse 20. Ephesians 6, verse 10 through verse 20. <clears throat> Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, or the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Well, I think we should uh, bow in prayer again. And uh, I, uh, I would ask you to pray for me. Pray for me that I will be able to bring to you and to myself that which God has placed upon my heart today. Uh, we need desperately to hear from God. At least I do. And I suspect that the same is true for you as well. We need to hear from our Lord. We need to hear from uh, our, our Sovereign, our, our, our Redeemer, uh, the Lord Jesus. And so you pray for me and I'll pray for you and we'll pray that God be pleased to bless His Word this morning. Our dear and gracious Heavenly Father, 
we come to you this morning with great joy in our hearts for the privilege, the honor, the blessing of being able to come into your presence and know that we are accepted in the beloved, in your Son, the Lord Jesus. Oh, Father, we bow now praying that it might please you to speak to our hearts in this time we have together. Speak your word to our hearts, Lord, for it is your word and your word alone that is profitable and beneficial to make us everything that you would have us to be, to conform us to the image of your Son, the Lord Jesus, our Savior. And so, Father, speak to us. O Holy Spirit, Spirit of the living God, Spirit of Christ, speak God's word, the word of God, to all of our hearts today. O Lord, desperate, desperate is the need of men to hear your voice. Desperate is the need for women, for young people to hear your voice. That effectual, powerful uh, word that is irresistible when spoken to the heart by the Spirit of God. Lord, speak. Speak and honor your name. Glorify your name. And in it all, Lord, grant your blessing upon those of us who are gathered together here this morning. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. This week, I've had the matter of prayer, uh, the subject of prayer, on my heart much. Uh, and in seeking the Lord and thinking about uh, prayer, uh, the Lord directed me to this portion of Scripture here in Ephesians chapter 6. And of course, these last uh, three verses of our text here this morning speak specifically to the subject of prayer. But as I was looking at these three verses, I, I felt compelled to go back, uh, as we often need to do to find a, at least a little bit of the immediate context of uh, what we're considering. And so I did. I went back to uh, uh, verse 10, and I began reading there, and I read through this several times. And uh, God, I believe strongly, spoke to my heart uh, some things that uh, are needful for us to consider together here this morning. Uh, I think the thing that uh, really got me to thinking about prayer was realizing uh, some of what we're facing in our lives today as believers, as Christians. Uh, we, we are facing some things and beginning to face some things that most of us here in this country as believers, as Christians, have never had to deal with before. Uh, you know... The opposition that we find simply because we're 
God's children. Simply because we're followers of the Lord Jesus and Christian people. Uh, this reversal of Roe versus Wade, uh, the abortion thing uh, that has been such a such a curse uh, upon this nation for 50 years since Roe versus Wade was established and uh, it was determined <laughs> that uh, abortion was something that was a woman's right, a woman's privilege, if you will. And in those 50 years, I don't even know, perhaps some would know, but I doubt that anybody really knows just how many unborn infants were murdered in the womb. And it was exactly that, murdered in the womb. I don't care what any of them would like to say or make us believe. It's nothing short of murder. Uh, so what has happened this past week is certainly an answer to prayer. It's an answer to my prayer. And I'm sure answer to your prayer as well because I know that many of God's children, if not most of God's children, who've stopped to consider the subject of abortion and, and what it really is, uh, I think most of God's children have prayed that God would do something about this, and he did. And I thank him for it. But we also knew that if he did, <laughs> there would be some uh, terrible things happen as a result of it, and already they have. In various places throughout this country, uh, uh, some terrible things have already happened, some terrible wicked, ungodly things have been said about those who hold to uh, the right to life, even for an infant in the womb. And uh, so I, I think perhaps some of this is what got me to thinking about the subject of prayer even, and why the Lord, in my thinking about the subject of prayer, directed me to this particular portion of Scripture, because it's very informative and instructive to us as we think about the things that I've just been talking about and what we're facing here in this nation now. And I do want to, to get to the subject of prayer as we find it here in our text. But before we do so, I think we need to back up and, and look at this immediate context here, the passage of Scripture that I read in Ephesians 6 beginning with verse 10. Uh, where the Apostle Paul, in writing to these folks at Ephesus, says, finally, finally, be strong in the Lord. You know, I, I think perhaps some of us have had a tendency uh, to think that a portion of Scripture like this is something that, well, this, because the church at Ephesus was a relatively young church, uh, and, and they were established by, in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. I forget how many years previous to this, but, but not too terribly many years. And so many of these folks were really young believers, young Christians. And, and I think we, some of us have thought of this passage of Scripture as being uh, written, you know, well, this is really for those young Christians. But as I got to thinking about that, 
and I got to thinking about my own heart and my own life. I've been a Christian for somewhere around 50 years. Somewhere around 50 years. And God convinced me that this passage of Scripture was just as much for me as it was for a new believer, a new Christian. Because we, had, we tend to forget some things, don't we? We tend to lose sight of some things. And, uh, and so Paul is writing here to all of us that which the Spirit of God has placed upon his heart and he is inspired uh, to write. And he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength or the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord. Uh, we don't have any strength. We don't have any strength at all apart from the strength that we find in the Lord. Uh, we must look to him. So often we find the Apostle Paul uh, writing uh, and in his writing, uh, including the prayers that he has often prayed for God's people in these various churches that God enabled him to establish. And, and one such occasion, I believe, is found earlier here in the book of Ephesus where Paul is praying for the Christian people here at Ephesus and, and he prays that God would strengthen them with might by his spirit in the inner man. Uh, and, and that's what Paul is talking about here when he says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Uh, be our... We need to be strengthened by God's Spirit who dwells within us in our inner man. Uh, and we need to be strengthened. We need to be strong in His power and in His might because ours is impotent, really, when it comes to the things that uh, we're dealing with uh, as believers and Christians. Uh, and he goes on to say, put on the whole armor of God. Well, I, I, I got to thinking about this verse 11 where Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. And, and, uh, and I begin to ask myself, well, when are we to do this? When are we to do this? Well, when did our warfare that we're facing begin? When did it begin? Was it just recently that uh, since some of these things have happened in this nation, is this when our warfare has begun? The warfare that the apostle is talking about here when he talks about putting on the whole armor of God that's needful in this warfare, this warfare began the moment the Spirit of God quickened us. The moment that the Spirit of God regenerated us. The moment that the Spirit of God, by the grace of God, took the Word of God and spoke it to our hearts and created new life within us. That's when the warfare for me and for you began. And so, when are we to put on the whole armor of God? The moment we enter into life. We need to be armed. We need to be fortified. As the apostle instructs here in this passage of scripture. Put on the whole armor of God. Uh, in reality, uh, what the apostle 
is saying here is uh, what he wrote earlier in the book of Romans. If you'd care to turn there to the 13th chapter of the letter to the church at Rome. Romans chapter 13. Uh, Let's look at verses 12 through 14 here quickly uh, of Romans chapter 13. Verse 12 of Romans chapter 13, Paul says, The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Well, the armor of light is not unlike the armor Paul is talking about here in Ephesians chapter 6, where he says, put on the whole armor of God. The whole armor of God is this armor of light that he's talking about here to the church at Rome. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, and in, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. When Paul says put on the whole armor of God here in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11, he's in reality simply saying put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me if you will uh, to where Paul says something very much like this in this same letter in which our text is found, uh, the letter to the church at Ephesus, uh, chapter 4. Beginning with verse 21. Ephesians 4 and verse 21. Where here Paul says, Assuming that you have heard about Him, that is Christ, as mentioned in verse 20, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, your old man, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desire. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self or the new man created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And if you will notice here where the apostle is writing uh, and, and finally says much the same thing that he says back in Romans chapter 13 when he says put on the new self, put on the new man. If you'll notice something had to precede this, didn't it? That's putting off the old man. Putting off the old man. Laying aside the old man. Dying to self. Oh, all through the epistles uh, and, and the gospels, we learn the necessity of denying self. Taking up our cross and following Him. Taking up the cross is what? A cross is an instrument of death. Uh, we need to recognize that we have been crucified with Christ and therefore put off that old man who is dead in sin and put on the new man. Put on the new man. Uh, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. If we were to turn to Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, Colossians chapter 3, we'll find him saying much the same thing to those believers in Colossae. Beginning with verse 9 of chapter 3 of Colossians. Paul says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. There again, 
He's saying to these folks, you have put off the old man, but look at verse 10, and have put on the new self or the new man, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. There's no other way to stand. He's more powerful than we are, isn't he? He's more powerful than we are. Have you ever attempted to overcome the enemy uh, in your own strength? Well, if you have, and if you're like me, you found that you couldn't be successful doing so. He's more powerful than we are. Oh, but John writes, greater, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. It's he who is in us that is greater. It's he who is in us that is powerful. It is he who is in us and that one whom we must put on that gives us the victory and enables us to stand against the schemes of the enemy, the schemes of the devil, the methods of the devil, deceitful schemes they are. Uh, If we would go back to verse 14 of chapter 4 here in Ephesians we would find Paul saying, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Deceitful schemes. The, uh, the same word, I believe, in the Greek that is translated just schemes of the devil here in verse 11 of Ephesians 6. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against these deceitful schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The passage that Justin read at the beginning of the hour this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we find the Apostle Paul there saying the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or or fleshly, but are powerful, mighty through God. The weapons that we must use in this warfare that we have entered into the moment God brought us into His kingdom and made us a part of His kingdom and made us His children by the sacrificial work of Christ upon the cross and and the quickening of God's Spirit in our hearts and lives. From that moment on, we entered into this warfare. And now we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Therefore, the weapons of our warfare must not be fleshly. Uh, What does Paul say here about who it is that we wrestle against? But against the rulers and against the authorities. Well... I have been guilty, perhaps you have, uh, uh, especially in these past few months and past couple of years, perhaps even longer than that for some, but I've been guilty of thinking that, especially in our day and time right now, you know, well, our our enemy and the one we're fighting, having to fight against is those rulers and those in authority over us, right? Well, but that's not true, is it? 
Ambassador, that's not who our warfare is with. That's not who our fight is with. Our fight is not with a president that doesn't seem to agree with the things we agree with or those that are in his cabinet and, and that are considered those who in uh, along with him are in authority over us as the leaders in this government. They are doing what? They're doing what? Well, Jesus tells us what they're doing uh, when he speaks uh, to the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, as he did in John chapter 8. Remember what he said? Of them, to them, to their face. He said, you are of your father, the devil, and the lusts or the desires of your father you will do. That's what these folks are doing. And so our battle is not really with them. Our battle is with that one who directs them and controls them and has them under his dominion and his power and his might. And then Paul goes on to give us a clearer description of who they are. Against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our battle is a spiritual battle, isn't it? It's a spiritual battle. It's not a physical thing. Uh, it is against spiritual, the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Uh, Satan, of course, being uh, the one in control of all of them, but all of those wicked, evil spirits uh, under his control and and all, that's who our battle is really against. That's who uh, we are seeking to stand against that Paul talks about here in this passage of Scripture. Verse 13, he goes to say, Therefore, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Paul again emphasizing how important it is for us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. To put off this old man this sinful man who is alienated from God and will never be anything but what it is, uh, must put off that old man, realizing that when we trusted Christ, we were crucified with Christ. That old man was crucified with him. And we're to live now by the power of he who died for us. That's what Paul was saying in Galatians 2.20, isn't it? When he said, for I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. But Christ lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how the believer lives. That's how the believer wages war. That's how we fight. By putting on Christ, putting off the old man, putting on Christ as we're instructed here in this passage of Scripture. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now, the evil day, the evil day that began when the warfare began, didn't it? And it's more consciously, we're more consciously aware of it sometimes than we are at other times. But... We are in a constant battle as believers with our old nature, which is spiritually dead to God, with the, this world system, which is 
opposed to and contrary to and hates the kingdom of God, the spirit of God, his kingdom. And of course, the devil himself, our spiritual enemy. And so he says that we need this whole armor of God. We need to put it on. We need to put on Christ, put on the armor of light. Therefore, he says, stand therefore, in verse 14, having fastened on the belt of truth. Oh, let's never, never lose sight of how important the truth is in our lives. What does the truth do for us? It was the truth that set us free, wasn't it? Just like Jesus told those Jews in John 8, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And if the Son makes you free, you're free indeed. You're really free. We're no longer under the dominion of sin. No, under the, no longer under the reign and the control and the power of this spiritual enemy and the hosts that are under his authority. We are no longer enslaved to sin. Been set free by the truth. The truth. No wonder the writer in Proverbs says, buy the truth and sell it not. Not that we can really buy it. Simply his way of stressing the importance of hanging on to the truth that God has given us in and through his word and in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the way, is the truth. He is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. So make sure that you have fastened on securely the belt of truth. Don't lose sight of it. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Oh my, where would you and I be today without righteousness? Without righteousness. But the righteousness that we have is not our own, is it? It's the righteousness of Christ put to our account. Oh, but the breastplate of righteousness is so important when we consider this warfare that we've entered into because the enemy is an accuser, isn't he? He's an accuser, and he would like to accuse us before God. He would like to accuse us before others. But we have been justified, declared righteous by God himself. Therefore, all these accusations mean nothing. They mean nothing. So don't lose sight of your need for the righteousness of the Lord Jesus put to our account. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Nothing makes us ready. Nothing makes us ready for what you and I will face every day of our lives as believers. Nothing makes us ready but the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which is what? As Paul says in Romans 1.16, what is the gospel? It's the power of God. It's the power of God unto salvation to all who believe it. And he says, we have, must have our feet shod with this preparation of the gospel of peace or this readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, then, in verse 16, take up the shield of faith. The shield of faith. Oh, it is faith, the gift of faith that enables us to get a hold of these things of God and understand and realize how important they are to us. And it is faith that enables us to see uh, what God has given us 
put into effectual working in our hearts and lives. And he tells us it is this shield of faith that enables us to extinguish all of the flaming darts of the evil one. Nothing that's hurled at us can touch us. Nothing can touch us so long as we are holding up the shield of faith, so long as we're believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it any wonder then that repeatedly the apostle is quoting from uh, the book of Habakkuk saying, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. He says we walk by faith and not by sight. We live by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. So keep that shield of faith before you. And then take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. Oh, the helmet. The helmet covers the mind and it covers the head where we remember, where we, where we think about the things that God has given us. And, and overall, the, uh, the thing that God has given us in Christ is salvation, isn't it? Salvation. Oh, but this salvation is a salvation that God is going to complete. He's going to finalize it. One day our salvation will be complete because he who hath begun a good work in us will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's guaranteed. It's guaranteed. So keep on this helmet of salvation. Oh, and then the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You know, there are those who say that this is the only, the only offensive weapon we find in this armor that God has given us. All these other things are defensive to protect, protect us and, and keep us safe. But the Word of God, which is uh, the sword of the Spirit that he speaks of here, is an offensive weapon, isn't it? The only thing that will make a difference in this world is God's Word, what God says. We're to declare it. We're to declare it. We're to believe it. We're to keep it in our hearts. We're to hide the Word of God in our hearts that we might not sin against Him. Oh, God's Word. God's Word is so important as we step onto the battlefield each day of our lives. When do we put on this armor? When are we to put on this armor? When are we to put on the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, one of the first things that we do when we get up in the morning is we get dressed, don't we? We get dressed. We put on our clothes for the day in a physical sense and in like manner. We are to develop the habit of being the first thing that we do when we wake up in the morning, put on the whole armor of God. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put off and deny that old man and embrace the Lord Jesus. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ at the very beginning of every day. And then we come to prayer. To prayer. Did you listen closely to the song that we sang at the beginning? There, stand up, stand up for Jesus. 
Let me just read you one of these verses again. Perhaps you didn't notice this as we sang it here this morning. But verse 3 of Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus says, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus, Stand in His Strength Alone. Isn't that what, isn't that what Paul is talking about here? Standing in the strength, His strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor. Each piece put on with what? With prayer. Each piece put on with prayer. Where duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. Every piece of the whole armor of God, each day of our lives, needs to be put on with prayer. In other words, in our earliest waking moments every day, we ought to seek to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. To look to Him. To trust in Him. To commit anew our lives to follow Him and serve Him and live for His honor and for His glory, knowing that His power and His strength alone will give us the victory. Repeatedly in the Scripture, we are told things like that we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. We are told He causes us always to triumph in Christ Jesus. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith. What faith is that? The faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Oh, prayer. Prayer. As I began to think about prayer, God having laid this subject on my heart this week, one of the first things that came to my mind is, what really is prayer? What really is it? Well, it's communion with God. It's being able to enter into communion, uh, close contact with God. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, as chapter 5 of Paul's letter to the Romans begins, he says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we also have what? Access into this grace in which we stand. God's throne is the throne of grace, isn't it? It's the throne of grace. We have access to the throne of grace and all that grace makes available and, and to us as believers It's all given to us in Christ. In Christ. Praying is fellowship with Him. It's communion with Him. It's access to God. And oh, what a humbling, what a humbling thought it is to know that me, a sinner, a rebellious sinner, a disobedient sinner, a transgressor of God's holy law, to know that such a a wretched, miserable, vile sinner as me, because of Christ, and because I have been united to Him, and because I can put on each day the Lord Jesus Christ anew and afresh, putting off that old man, denying self, looking unto Him, 
I can come into the very presence of this holy God, the eternally self-existent one who is so infinitely above and beyond in every way imaginable who I am and what I am. To be in His presence and to be accepted. To be accepted into the presence of such a one as God Himself. Prayer. We never pray. Not really. We never really pray unless we're in the presence of God, do we? It's God's presence that prayer brings us into. Praying. Praying. At all times. At all times. The Lord Jesus, in the Gospel according to Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, we're told, spoke a parable. And in King James, because this is the way I memorized it, in King James it says, and he spoke a parable to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. How often are we to pray? Always, always. Isn't that what Paul is saying here? Praying at all times. At all times. Oh, we should seek to be in constant communion and fellowship with Him. We should seek to be constantly in the presence of God. Uh, Or as R.C. Sproul so often pointed out, we should seek to live every moment of our lives, quorum Deo, or before the face of God. Before the face of God. Praying always. And so Paul would tell the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Or as Paul would write to the Colossians in the fourth chapter of Colossians in verse 2, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. You remember what the apostle wrote to these folks at Philippi, the, the letter immediately following Ephesians, where our text is this morning, beginning with verse 4 of Philippians chapter 4, the fourth chapter of Philippians. And verse 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord. Always again I say rejoice. Where in the Lord? <laughs> Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Stay in constant communion and fellowship with Him. Live your life before the face of God, knowing that you are accepted there because of Christ, whom you have put on as you put on the whole armor of God. John says in 1 John chapter 5, this is the confidence. This is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, 
we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. And where do we find God's will? In his word. In his word. And we can take then what God has revealed to be his will in his word and we can take it before the Lord in prayer. And he says we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. No wonder we read in Mark chapter 14, I believe it is, that whatsoever things when you pray, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. If you're really praying, if you're really praying, you must do so in the presence of God before him. And so he says, praying at all times in the spirit. In the spirit. There's really no other way to really pray but to do so in the spirit. All of our other so-called praying is not real prayer. It's not real prayer. If the spirit of God is not in it, it never reaches God's throne. Never reaches the throne of grace unless the Spirit of God is in it. He takes that which God has placed upon our hearts. He takes that and He brings it into the very presence of our Heavenly Father. Praying in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. It must be in the Spirit. All prayer. All times that we're praying. All prayer and supplication. Supplication is simply a word that means humble and earnest prayer in worship. Where do we worship? Where do we worship? All true worship is in the presence of God. Isn't it? All in the presence of God. Praying at all times with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. To that end, to that end, he says, keep alert with all perseverance. Don't give up. Don't give up. Be persistent. Pray and continue to pray. God answers prayer in his time, doesn't he? He answers prayer in his time. God has a perfect time for everything. Even the answer to all our prayers. So keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints, praying for one another, humbly, earnestly, as we're in the presence of God, bowed before him in worship, in awe of who he is and what he has promised to do in all of our lives. Pray for one another. Pray for me. I'll pray for you. before the presence of God, before the throne of God. What a privilege. What a privilege is prayer. And oh, how needful. Because every piece of the armor that is so essential for our living our lives in this world, as long as God leaves us here, every piece of the armor, whether it be the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace with which our feet 
our shod or the shield of faith or the helmet of salvation or the sword of the spirit which is the word of God all the preaching so called that takes place if it's not bathed in prayer means little if anything Spurgeon attributed all that men looked upon as his success as a preacher. He attributed it to the prayer of God's people. If I remember correctly, Spurgeon said that every time he preached there in the Metropolitan Tabernacle, I forget how many men it was in the basement beneath him that were praying for the word that he proclaimed. No wonder. No wonder God blessed his ministry. No wonder God rewarded him with the fruit of his efforts. Men were praying. Don and I were talking yesterday, the day before, I don't know. I exactly don't remember when it was, but I told her I, I grew up in that little country church, little Zion Baptist Church, out in the country there in Missouri. And I went to that little country church all my childhood years. Went every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, thanks to parents that took me. But I went almost every Wednesday night as well for the midweek prayer service. It's almost a thing of the past, isn't it? So few churches have a prayer service anymore. Could what we're seeing today perhaps be traced to the lack of prayer in the hearts and lives of God's people? Oh, I remember the folks there in that little country church, they may not have understood everything, but they understood the need to pray. On Wednesday night, they would gather and they would share prayer requests like we do here each Sunday morning. And then all the men of the church and some of the ladies as well would get on their knees before God and pray and pray, asking God in his mercy and his grace to meet needs and intervene in certain circumstances and situations. Oh, that we might be brought back to that. It's absolutely essential that we as Christians have a time when we get alone with God and pray. But corporate prayer is also needful and necessary. Something we need to pray that God will enable us to once again have a prayer service when we can bring before God the burdens of our heart. Well, there's so much more that could be said from this passage of Scripture. But we need to bring this to a close. Do you remember when Saul of Tarsus was converted on the road to Damascus? Remember that? A bright light shone down from heaven and he fell to the ground and heard a voice speaking to him saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul of Tarsus said, 
Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you have persecuted. And he was blinded for three days, led, led by those who were with him, by the hand perhaps even, in, into town. And a man there, well, let me just read it to you in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts as we bring this to conclusion. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, oh, down about verse 11, I believe it is. Well, let's go back to verse 10. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. And then the Lord said something very important. Ananias. Ananias, you'll know. You'll know that Saul of Tarsus is a believer. That he's yielded his heart and his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. How are you going to know? Behold, he's praying. You'll find him praying. Prayer is something that God's children do. Prayer is as essential to the Christian life as breathing is to our physical lives. It's imperative that we pray. It's imperative that we pray. It's in prayer that we come into the presence of God and unburden our hearts. It's in, in the spirit of prayer that we enter into His presence to worship Him and to thank Him for His goodness and His mercy and His grace and trust Him. And trust Him for all that we encounter and all that we face in this life. Prayer. And it's all possible because we can put on the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole armor of God, the armor of light. God has blessed us, has he not, with the privilege of prayer. May God enable us to see its importance and apply daily what God has blessed us with. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer if we can.